1: Welcome back, everyone, to Jumping Bomb Audio and Podcast, all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor. What's up, Taylor?
2: Hi, we have another milestone episode here. We had we hit 20 episodes last episode, and this episode is our first ever year in review episode. That's right. We're also of, of legal drinking age. 21. That's true as well, 21. This podcast... Exciting.
1: I guess not. I mean, 21 years, I guess. We've not been doing this for 21 years quite yet.
2: Well, we count, you know, we we pack in enough great content into each episode that it's like a year. Don't you dare say
1: that doing a podcast with me feels like a year. <laughs> each episode feels like a year. <laughs> oh, that's rude, Taylor. I know you were thinking that, and that's rude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, follow us on twitter i guess uh at Bomb audio uh we haven't talked that much on Twitter lately, although I did retweet some news about uh yuski that we'll talk about later, and you also did something on Twitter that I can't remember
2: yes well we we tweeted out asking for questions for this episode I indeed uh, that happened. I also tweeted about the uh all Japan ice ribbon um, union or agreement or whatever it will become. And I also, I also tweeted about uh, Yusuke Aikawa when she mentioned uh, Yoshiko in uh, an interview about her appearance at an upcoming stardom show. Oh, could be interesting. I feel like
1: on every episode of this podcast, we've talked about, the possibility of Yoshiko working with stardom again. <laughs> I feel like it's been a, a common uh, conversation we've had.
2: Yeah. And I feel like, but I feel like from episode to episode, our opinion on whether it will happen changes. <laughs> Some yeah. episodes were like, it, why would it ever happen? Some episodes were like, it's definitely going to happen.
1: Well, that's the adventure. That's why you listen to every episode of a podcast to really get that adventure. You know? Yeah, to
2: get the, to get the ebb and flow, the, you know, give and take <laughs> of, of life. <laughs> this is going to be a goofy one,
1: folks. Got a feeling. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me over at Aaron, like the car, Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the podcast. All you got to do is search Jumping Bomb Audio on the podcast app of your choice. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a five star rating and a review. If you use the Apple podcast app, tell a friend who likes Joshi. Uh, and also, if you want to donate to the show, I mean, what else better could you do with your bunny around Christmas time than head over to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and give Taylor and me a little present for the holiday season. Here's what we're going to do on this show. We are going to do our year end awards. We've got a bunch of those to hand out. And then we're going to answer some questions, as Taylor mentioned we asked for questions on Twitter and in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, so we've got several of those to talk about. And then at the end of the show, we are going to talk about the news about the Stardom uh, Budokan show, and also we're going to preview the Stardom. Where is this in Osaka? Uh... Oh, Twenty is the date. I can't remember where it's happening though. <laughs> I think it's in Osaka. Yeah, this is Osaka 80 on uh, number one. That's right. You're exactly correct. (laughs) So we'll preview that at the end of the show. That is the only, like, we're not going to talk about any wrestling shows that happened in the past two weeks, just to be clear. So if you came here looking for talk about, uh, I don't know, some wrestling show, (laughs) we're not talking about it. So it's just year in review. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. So we're going to do that. We'll jump right in with the awards you just want to go down these the way they're listed in our sheet here taylor
2: well aaron i was going to say should we go from the bottom up because we have okay. the big awards listed at the top and i feel like we should you know save those for last well damn it because the first one i didn't really have
1: an answer for <laughs> so it's a good start so we'll start with you all right okay. so we've basically uh cribbed these largely from the wrestling observer newsletter awards that we've taken out some of them that we either didn't think were applicable or like best promo, uh, you know, two uh English speakers really don't have a <laughs> firm hold on who the best promos in women's re- Japanese women's wrestling are. So we've we've taken that out. But otherwise we've got a bunch of things to talk about. So uh
2: best booker, Taylor. Yes, and this is probably gonna give away some of my uh later picks. But I picked uh Emmy Sakura, who is booking um Gato Moose slash, um, probably more appropriately, Chaco Pro. Um, I just think it was a super interesting year. Obviously, we all know that every promotion worldwide had to deal with COVID. And most of the ways that um, these promotions dealt with COVID was either to shut down completely or to sort of have um, their usual shows with either no crowd or some sort of limited um, limited capacity crowd or limited, you know, you can't cheer, you can only clap and things like that. And I just think that the Choco Pro was, it was in the same place that a lot of the Gato Move shows are um, at Ichigawa uh, Chocolate Square. But I just think the format of the show, live streaming these Choco Bro shows every few days or, you know, once a week, whatever they were doing. I just think it was a, an out of the box way to work around having no crowds. I never watched any of those Choco Bro shows and went, wow, I can't believe there's no crowd. I'm missing, you know, a big thing that's missing from these shows is that there's no one there. Um so I just think she did a, um, Emmy did a great job. She booked, um, interesting matches. She had sort of running storylines featuring almost everyone who appeared in the promotion for more than, you know, a couple shows and people got featured. I think it elevated a lot of the talent there. I mean, we talk about Mesa Ruga, uh, Yuna Mizumori, uh, and Lulu pencil and people like that. And I think everyone at the end of the year came off better than they were at the beginning of the year. They appear stronger. They're, you know, more, you know, more popular. They've had matches that people have enjoyed. So I just think it was a, a, a great sort of outside the box way to, to book a promotion in this very strange time. I think, you know, as,
1: you were uh, explaining that, Taylor. I find it very hard to argue with. (laughs) I mean, thinking about it because, uh, well, a big problem that I had throughout these awards or thinking about it is just like COVID really, you know, I mean, it wreaked havoc on everything. Uh, So, you know, this isn't any big news, but it also, you know, wreaked havoc on wrestling in that even though a lot of wrestling ended up happening, um, it wasn't nearly as enjoyable, I don't think, as wrestling normally is. Uh, and you weren't able to have those moments, you know, that really pay off in the way a big, loud crowd would be able to pay them off. Uh, you know, and sometimes there were some stories that just got left behind at times, or feuds that got left behind, and uh, shows that got canceled, etc. So, you know, I, I think about some of the promotions when I think about which promotions are most well booked. I think about well which stories were the most satisfying, but I think you make a great point that. Uh, what Emmy did with Chaco Pro was more creative than what anybody else did and probably presented a type of wrestling that was uh, most easy to enjoy during the the COVID era of wrestling. So I'm just going to piggyback on you. I'm just going to agree with you here. Great. A a wise decision. (laughs) As always. Uh, Okay. Well, I mean, you said we kind of build here, but the very next award you have on here is best major show. So we got to get right into it here. What was, what were your, uh, I guess we just say this on some of the smaller awards. We're just going to do one. And then when we get to some of the bigger ones, I think we're going to do a top three. And then for match of the year, we've both got a top 10, uh, but yeah, best major show.
2: So my three were number three. I had uh Tokyo Joshi wrestle princess Um, obviously the main event was the featured sort of attraction of the show. It it was the thing that got the most buzz, but I thought it was, you know, Tokyo Joshi's biggest show ever. I thought it was really well booked. I thought a lot of the matches were a lot of fun and uh, I just thought overall, it's a strong show and obviously a a show. That's a lot of fun that ends with what I thought was a five-star match is always going to finish very high in terms of um, the best shows. Um, my next pick was the Ice Ribbon uh, Yokohama Buntai, the the final show there, uh, which featured that uh, Maya Yukihi uh, Suzu Suzuki match. It featured the Fantast Ice. Um, Decision match, the first champion Risa Serra, winning the title there. I just thought it was a, a super fun show. I thought it had really great matches all up and down the card. I thought the main, you know, the main event, semi-main event, um, all delivered. It had the return of um, Mio Shirai even very far down the card, in I believe the second match. So overall, I just thought it was a super fun show. I remember watching it and really enjoying it, having a lot of fun. So that is my number two uh, pick. And my number one pick is Stardom uh, Yokohama. I just thought it was a really great show. A lot of strong matches um, starting all the way from the beginning. uh, The first match, that high-speed title match between Azumi and Starlight Kid. All the way up the card, I thought it was a great... um, presentation of the very strong in-ring capabilities of stardom. So those are my three picks for best major show.
1: All right. Well, this is something that's hard for me because I really don't. I I have to do a better job next year of tracking shows, like which were my favorite shows. (laughs) So I kind of just don't think about it in that way, I suppose. So I had to go back uh, and try to put my, my, my very small brain to it today. Uh, Number three, I'm going to go, I'm going to copy your number one. I'm going to go with the Stardom Yokohama show, probably their best show of the year. So I I wanted to include one of their shows. Um, But you've already talked about that at some length. My number two, and maybe someone will disagree that this is a major show, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) uh, this is uh, Diana's show from August 30th. I mean, there were According to Cage Match, 142 people there. So perhaps not a major show. But uh, it had several very good matches on it. Uh, the Nagasuno Ozaki versus Sari time limit draw. You had the tag title match with uh, Luminous winning the tag titles from Kaoru Ito and Tomoko Watanabe, which was uh, one of my favorite matches of the year. You'll hear about that later. And then the Asuka Ayako Sato Uh, match for the uh, world title. And it's just like, I don't know, Diana went from not really making tape very much to making tape. And it was often kind of a slog to watch on tape, uh, especially without Sari when she wasn't there at all. And then boom, they had this uh, show that I thought delivered on all cylinders and kind of speaks to uh, the, I would say, above average year that Diana had. So Uh, I don't know. I like the show a lot. Uh, My favorite show of the year, this is probably Live Bias, uh, and that's the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show from uh, January 4th. You know, being there certainly is a reason that it sticks in my mind as something that I enjoyed a lot. But looking back at it, uh, there's a lot of really fun stuff on this show, um, and especially the top of the card. I mean, you had the Sari Natsumi Maki match, which uh, was one of my I mean, it didn't make my top 10 list, but it was one of my favorite matches of the year. Uh, The very good Thunder Rosa Mizuki match Makihito and Hikari Noah for the International Princess title. That was very good Uh, and the main event of Yuka Sakazaki and Miyu Yamashita was really good. Excellent. Uh, But it also Tokyo Joshi Pro is one of those things. I think we've talked about this on the show. It's like, it's just a very fun live experience. So getting to be there and watch it uh, really, I'm sure, increased my enjoyment of it. But I think even on tape, it was uh, an excellent show. So that's my favorite show of the year.
2: Yeah, I also like that Tokyo Joshi show. But <laughs> at this point, I guess it wasn't even my brain because January 2020. Oh, yeah, it's insane. in a way feels like it was fifteen, fifteen <laughs> 15 years ago. So I didn't even think about that. But that probably also would have been, if not in the three up, near the top because i was not there live um but i also really liked that show it was a very strong show
1: it's very hard to believe that in this calendar year i was able to travel to japan like (laughs) the idea that that was possible and allowed in this year is pretty hard to believe uh but yeah uh also while i was there the flu was going around the wrestlers (laughs) it's like okay I think we know that probably wasn't the flu going around.
2: Uh oh god. Rookie of the year, Taylor. Yeah, I had I had trouble with this category because I couldn't think of <laughs> I frankly couldn't think of very many rookies cuz there's now Ishikawa and Yuki Mashiro in Ice Ribbon. Um Sendai Girls has Two rookies. I think Tokyo Joshi has two. Um, I went with Honori Hana. She did start in December 2019, so it's a little bit of a, a a little bit of a cheat, but not too much. I just find um, I've I've enjoyed the matches she's been in, but also I find her the most interesting. Being in Seedling, she's the first rookie. Now, of course, Riku Kai, Riko Kaiju is also there. Um, But I've just been so interested in her year to see where she goes, how things happen. You know, there's no um, precedent for a rookie in seedling, how quickly they'll move up the card, what they'll do. Um, Honorihana actually getting a win at seedlings, most recent show, I believe. So that was a big thing, but I've just enjoyed her year. And because she was the most interesting person for me to follow, that is who I that is who I picked.
1: Yeah, I also struggled with this. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Riko Kaiju. And the main reason for that is when I was thinking of all the rookies, she probably had my favorite single match that I can think of among rookies. Uh, her debut against Tsukasa Fujimoto was a match that I enjoyed a lot. So... That's basically it. That's why I'm going with Rico Kaiju. Uh, Most underrated, and I love the way we've both gone with this one.
2: So uh, I'll let you get it started. I mean, I feel like if uh, any regular listener to this podcast could probably guess who I would pick, although it's a little bit different now because she is out injured. But my pick, of course, Jungle Kiona, Um, someone who just, you know, Underrated, I think, in this case. In case people aren't familiar with um, with the Wrestling Observer Awards, most underrated usually in this case means under pushed um, by and large. So, of course, Jungle Kiona to me fits that to a T. Someone who could probably be at the top of the company and has never been this year or any prior year. So, she was an easy pick for me. And similarly, I've chosen
1: Momo Watanabe as the most underrated uh, to me. I mean, to me, the best wrestler in the company and uh, hasn't even sniffed. I mean, she I guess she did have a title match with Mayu, uh, but, you know, no one expected her to win. And only uh, the people who like to fill up my mentions think she's going to be a champion again soon. (laughs) No, I love you all. I promise. But um she should be pushed more so yeah i went with momo most overrated i gotta tell you taylor i this one i struggle with i feel like most people i mean it's true when i say i think momo is uh, most under pushed but it's not like there are people ahead of her that i think are just like Ugh, why would you push this person you know so I th- i think in most of joshi you don't have a situation too often where it's like you know the famous one is like well, I guess this year is like evil or whatever, you know, where it's like somebody who everybody kind of universally thinks is overpushed. I'm not sure we see that as much in Joshi.
2: Yeah, I didn't have uh I couldn't think of too many options. My one option, and this maybe will get me um people will be in my mentions now. So Aaron, you'll be um safe for maybe a couple weeks. Uh Sakura Hirota, you know, I really like her. I just find it sometimes confusing that she gets so many opportunities. I mean, she had a uh, she held a title in Diana this year. She got her Regina DeWave title match at one point. Um, she main evented the most recent Wave show. I think that was the most recent Wave show she main evented. You know, I like her and I'm sure that some part of it of her sort of gimmick or act is missed because I don't speak Japanese, but I just feel like the promotion she's in, it sometimes feels like she's all over where there's sometimes people in the promotion where I go, Oh, I wish that this, you know, person could get more opportunities, you know, in wave to push someone at the top of wave when you know, if it's, Nozaki against Hirota. You know, Nozaki is coming out of that match as champion. <laughs> um, almost, you know, ninety-nine point nine um percent of the time. So, you know, that was my pick. I do like her, but I, I just think that she's overly featured in um some of the promotions where she works.
1: I don't have a great answer for this, so I'm just going to uh just gonna skip it.
2: You're just going to leave me hanging. I take a step out and you leave me alone.
1: I thought about uh, trolling you and saying Mayumi Ozaki. I thought that would be funny. Oof. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, I don't know. Like,
2: I just don't think that many people are. Yeah, it's not a – most of the time the people who are pushed either – you know, are very talented wrestlers is usually the case or have some sort of reason why are they are why they are pushed. And it, and it right. makes sense.
1: I mean, like if we'd done this in March, I would have said Julia probably, but I think she has, you know, risen to the level of her push. So it all worked out in the end. Uh, but it's hard for me to think. I mean, even uh, Hirota it's like, well, the crowds do seem to enjoy her very much, so she got that going for.
2: Her. Yeah, I mean that is true, and I, I mean I know, and I said it before I gave my pick that most people very much enjoy her. Um, you know, in Japan, but also I see a lot of times on Twitter people really enjoying her matches. So I'm probably alone, or more alone on an island with that. But you know, as you said, it is. A, a bit of a tricky category, you know, cause I couldn't think of anyone in stardom. I couldn't think of anyone. I mean, I really couldn't think of anyone else. That was the only thought that came in my head.
1: All right. Well, we'll move on
2: to our next
1: category. Best flying wrestler.
2: Yeah. Flying wrestler is, um, a bit tricky. <laughs> there aren't a ton of, uh, I think Joshi wrestlers who you would immediately think of as, um, flying in the way that you would think of some sort of men's wrestlers is very high flying, you know, like Ray Phoenix or people like that. My pick, you know, it might not exactly fit, but I wanted to, you know, give this person some shine. So I pick starlight kid. Um, as I've talked about on the podcast before, I think starlight kid is really great and always improving. And, you know, I think sort of that high speed, You know, she. I think she fits neatly in sort of a high-speed category, which is, in my mind, adjacent to flying. So uh, Starlight Kid was uh, my choice. Yeah, I think you're right that it's kind of tough. There's not
1: a lot of people who are just like, their whole offense is aerial-based, you know? So I try to think about this. But for me, the person who stood out the most, um, in my mind, was Asuka because she does do quite a bit of, you know, aerial offense. And she, to me, is probably, yeah, probably the most athletic person in Joshi. And she does definitely the most interesting uh, flying stuff. So, yeah, for me, it's Asuka.
2: Yeah, I, th- I also thought about uh, Saya Kamatani, who I think in the future, you know, maybe next year or even the year after that will probably, you know, if this is being decided on a yearly basis, we'll probably be at the top of the list um, a lot of years because as I've mentioned, she's very similar to Asuka. She has a lot of sort of high flying offense. Um, But as I've said on the podcast before, I don't know that she's quite at that polished level where I could say, oh, she's the best you know, she's the best in this category. I also thought about Asuka, so I think it would be hard for me to say, oh, it's Saya Kamatani and not have picked Asuka when I think Asuka is sort of Saya's end point goal as to putting all the very athletic talent together. Yeah, the thing about Saya's flying is she's not very good at it
1: yet. <laughs> she botches a lot of flying moves, I feel like. Um so yeah I would have probably uh pushed back on you if you had gone with with Saya.
2: Yeah, I I don't think she's ready yet but she has in my eyes I'm sort of like oh it's coming together where if it all clicks at some point like the phoenix splash she does I think looks really cool. And I could see if she starts adding a couple things that also she can really nail. Like something like that phoenix splash you can put in a a gif and be like look at this, this is really cool. And people go, Oh, that's a flaunt, you know? So it's not yet, but I can see into the future, you know, a year from now when we do this again, I could see maybe she's put it all together and then she could win um, the category.
1: Okay. Uh, Best brawler is up next. Did we not, is there not a, is there not a best striker? Have I just always done that in my own brain all these years? I
2: don't think there is a best striker. I think it's just best brawler. Okay, best brawler. Go ahead. Uh, my best brawler, I picked Risa Sarah, um, the holder of the Fantast Ice title. She had that hardcore match with uh, Rina Yamashita at the Ice Ribbon um, Yokohama show, which I talked about um, in my best major shows, which was really crazy. Um, You know, there weren't a ton of options in terms of people who are really do a brawling style. And I think Risa is probably at the top. Rina Yamashita would also be another contender for me as well. But Risa held that Fantast Ice title where she's done a lot of different styles. But that big first show was the big hardcore brawling Uh, match. So she was my pick. I
1: went with uh, Yoshiko here and that was largely because I wanted to I mean, I do think she's a very good brawler but I also just wanted to make sure that we shouted her out in these awards uh, especially, you know, coming off a year where she became a a viral TikTok sensation and we don't have a best on social media award. Uh, So uh, yeah, I just went went with Yoshiko. Any thoughts on that?
2: no I think it's a good pick um I think I think yoshiko had a good year so it's good to um i th- I think it is good you sort of do you sort of did what I do which is with sort of these um, not the top awards not the like most outstanding trying to get a variety of people in who I think did well during the year, but might not make that tippy top of the list. And I think Yoshiko is a, is a good choice for that because she had a very good year. Um, You know, she's back to being double champion in uh, seedling. So obviously she has the company behind her and had a number of very good matches this year. So I think, I think she's an excellent pick for this category.
1: Oh, good. I'm going to try to prompt you more to tell me that I did a good job. (laughs) gonna work on that uh not gonna happen on this next award best technical wrestler
2: yeah this was tough um i mean the first thing that came to my mind was you know someone from um the i guess short-lived um joint army in ice ribbon which would have been teary um might have been a pick mine Aaron and I talked about this before the show started. Does it really fit the category? Mm, it's iffy, but it's a person like I just talked about that I think had a very good year. And I wanted to get her um, into one of these awards because I think she had a great year. So my pick was uh, Miyuki Takase. You know, not exactly a technical wrestler as you probably think about it, Um but I think she had a great year and I do think she has some aspects of sort of technical wrestling to her. So it's not a totally um, off base pick, but that was, that was my pick. I think she had a, a really great year, uh, really solid finished, very high on my list of best wrestlers, but just sort of outside that top tier. Um, so wanted to fit her in. And so into technical wrestler, she went. I think I'm going to go with Shuri.
1: I mean, I kind of think of her more as a striker, as we were talking about a minute ago. But she does do a lot of technical wrestling. Um, And I don't have a great answer for this. So Uh, and she's had a really good year, I think, you know, outside of stardom, for sure. And once she's gotten into stardom, she's been pushed pretty well and is someone who pretty much always stands out on a show to me. So I think Shuri's a it's a good choice here. Gassing up my own picks now. You're welcome. (laughs)
2: Thank you for mentioning her her at the beginning.
1: Yeah, that really helped. Well, you said joint army and I was like, oh yeah, that's good. And I started thinking about that. Okay.
2: um, Most charismatic. Yeah, this one is a little tricky uh, because as we said, we um, are not native uh, Japanese speakers. And I think sometimes um, a lot of the charisma comes across in what they say, but my choice was Asuka Um, I just think the way she carries herself in the ring, the sort of character she has, um, to me, is um, an easy fit for this. It was the first and I think the only person I, I considered for this category. As I said, I just think that she is the complete package in terms of having... You know, obviously great in-ring work, as we've talked about, but also has that sort of character down where she's someone you want to watch in the ring, even when she's, you know, in a tag match and she's outside the ring waiting for the tag. She draws your eyes to her because she has that charisma. So she was an easy pick for me in this category. Yeah,
1: I just uh agreed with you on this one, Asuka. It's hard to think of someone who has a more magnetic personality within Joshi. Off the top of my head anyway. It's just like uh she always draws your eye. And it, and even it's you know, it's not just her her I mean, I struggle to call it character work, but like just her normal like mannerism stuff, but also just in the ring, I think she's very charismatic. She does things with a flair. Uh, which, you know, is important for pro wrestling. <laughs> so uh, to me, this one isn't particularly close, even when I think about some other folks who who are very charismatic. Someone who I think has like a very funny, like weird charisma is uh Sai Kamitani, who we talked about a little bit ago. I guess we're doing a lot of Asuka Sai Kamitani comparisons on the show. And that's not a bad one really for uh, for Saya to uh, aspire to, as you mentioned earlier. So uh, yeah, I think Asuka... Uh, by a, by a landslide,
2: really most improved wrestler. So there were a lot of, um, choices I could have probably gone with all from the same place. I think, as I mentioned before, Choco pro, um, the way Emi Sakura has booked the, um, that promotion this year really gave, um, You know, emphasis to a lot of different people at different times that each got their opportunity to shine. But me looking at everything that happened this year in terms of the matches that happened, um, my pick was Yuna Mizumori, who, you know, I was aware of in 2019. I had seen some of her matches, but really shot up this year in terms of both having great matches and having a sort of character. that got me invested in um, her and in Chaco Pro as an entire promotion. So, this one was fairly easy, although I, you know, you could have gone with a lot of people in that promotion. You could have gone with May Suruga as well. Um, but she was the most improved, really helped by the situation she was in being in Chaco Pro, which really helped put a lot of focus and emphasis on her. I went a slightly
1: different way, uh, which I kind of uh, suggested earlier, but I'm going with Julia. And that's because, frankly, when she showed up in stardom, uh, I was worried that it was just going to be a huge flop. (laughs) She she came out of the gates very poorly. Uh, what, What was that, late? Was it late last year that she showed up in stardom mid last year?
2: I think it was November, the end of November. I think she showed up. It was very late last year. Uh,
1: And then early on into 2020, it was still, you know, a pretty big struggle for her, I thought. And not only did she get better to me, she's well, I mean, I don't think you could disagree that she's uh, one of the two top stars in the company but i think her ring work has really improved to where it makes sense that she's one of the top two stars of the company Uh, her charisma has she always had a charisma but it was it was awkward i mean there was just something like strange about the way she projected herself and i do think i mean obviously you know you never know when somebody's doing a promo if uh, how much of it is real and not but I got the sense, you know, from some of her promos that she was just literally uncomfortable when she arrived in stardom. When you consider everything that happened, uh, you know, when she uh, was leaving her former promotion to come there. And then I don't know if this is true, but it would be easy for me to believe that some people probably weren't that happy that she was kind of brought in and immediately thrust into uh, not only a top spot, but, you know, getting the the shot at um at Wrestle Kingdom before the New Japan show, you know, so I don't know. I just think she was uncomfortable and she became comfortable. And once she did, she just took off and is doing to me, very good work um, has become one of the top wrestlers in the company uh, and a major
2: star. So kudos to Julia. Aaron, I'll say without any prompting from you that I agree. And that's a very good pick, Aaron. Wow. Great job. Thanks Taylor. (laughs) we've been, we've done this
1: podcast long enough now that Taylor knows that I need uh, some encouragement really helps. Okay. We're getting into the, um, the business end of the awards feud of the year.
2: Yeah. I always struggle. I always struggle with this because this is a thing that I just, I guess I forget about a lot of the feuds I like, or I look back and I say, okay, so-and-so had, you know, one match. I just always think of a feud as like something that lasts for many like weeks or months. Um, And I, so I just always struggle to think I picked uh, Julia versus Tom Nakano. You know, I didn't love the entire build or everything, but I thought that, you know, they had a series of good matches um, that I really enjoyed I thought it made Tom look really great. It really helped Julia, um, so that was my pick. But but mainly, you know, not to diminish my pick, but as I said, I always struggle to think of feuds, so I really couldn't even think of that many other feuds to include here.
1: I went with—I mean, that was a good feud, I thought. Uh, but I went with uh, Sukasa Fujimoto versus Suzu Suzuki. It was a story that I did not understand, and you had to explain it to me and the listeners. Uh, But it was so bizarre that uh, I enjoyed it very much. Um, Perhaps not as bizarre as uh, Fujimoto's big feud from last year, but still one that got me very interested in the match. And perhaps most importantly to me for uh, a feud, it blew off in an excellent match. So it all worked for me. All right, match. Are we going to do match of the year next? I guess so. Do you want
2: to do match, or do you want to skip it and save it for last? Let's save it for last. I think that's the. I think that's all the right. big thing. All right,
1: to me. Uh, all right, promotion of the year. I, I mean, we have to know where Taylor's going.
2: Yeah. So uh, I have three. Uh, my number three is Tokyo Joshi. I think they had a good year. They had obviously. Um, As Aaron mentioned, their big show on January 4th, they had Russell Princess. You know, and I think one thing I've talked about on the show is that they lost um, a a few people um, a few months back, which for most promotions would be, you know, you might think, oh, that's going to uh, maybe affect them or hurt them. But I actually think it made it sort of strengthened the company. It allowed the company to to give a little bit more focus to um, some people who maybe hadn't gotten focus or hadn't gotten focus in a while. I think they have a lot of momentum um, coming out of that Russell princess show heading into another big January four show. Um, so I just think overall they had a, a very strong year. Uh, my number two is ice ribbon. Um, I always think Ice Ribbon is going to be near the top of these awards. They usually do very well at, um, you know, having good matches alongside having sort of interesting stories. As Aaron mentioned, the Fujimoto Suzuki story, you know, Suzuki becoming champion, um, sort of this young champion being a big, big story, um, which I think is really interesting and exciting. Um, introducing the Fantastic Ice title, which I think has has been very fun because they've been able to have this variety of matches. You know, a hardcore match, or the match at Ueno Park where it was a baseball game that lasted 42 hours. So I just think they had another strong year, sort of doing what they usually do, which is a combination of good in-ring work with interesting stories and good characters. And as Aaron said, my number one pick, um, very obvious got move slash Choco pro. I've sort of already been over it, but I just think a strong year they took the only promotion that sort of took advantage of the shutdown, you know, COVID stuff to present a more effective product. Um, had great stories and a number, many, many, many great matches. Uh, so to me, they were the runaway uh, promotion of the year.
1: Hmm. I don't know, man. I hate this. Um. I as I said earlier, I mean, nothing has really like blown my proverbial skirt up this year. I think you're right that it's hard to pick anything other than Choco Pro as the best promotion of the year because of the creativity and inventiveness um that they showed and we're still able to not just like do a wacky thing but also do like just straight up good wrestling matches as part of their wacky thing and interesting stories as part of it and kind of everything altogether uh some other promotions that I will shout out you mentioned Tokyo Joshi but a, a promotion that is genuinely growing not necessarily just forcing growth um uh, you know I'm not talking about any other promotions in particular when I say that at all uh, but yeah, Tokyo Joshi Pro and they had this like very, not only was the Russell Princess show really good, but it like ends in a main event that had a compelling story that they uh, built up over a very long period of time and a story that paid off pretty well, right? Like by the end of that match, it's like, oh yeah, this is, uh, this is a nice, a nice way to end this all up. Um, I've already... Given uh, Diana some plaudits on the show, but I think they've had a good year. And then I i mean, I think it would be insane not to mention startup. Uh, obviously, we've talked about our problems with their booking on the show, uh, but there's no doubt that even though I think it's uh, forced rather than, you know, uh, organic, uh, there's, there's no doubt that they've started running uh, bigger buildings and are trying to grow the promotion. Uh, but just a t- terrifically unfulfilling year for me, uh, for stardom. Uh, but yeah, so I'd probably go Choco Pro, uh, Tokyo Joshi, Diana as my favorite promotions. I gotta
2: be—I'm the only one, probably, including Diana in their top three. I mean, it's a bit weird because before this year, they never made tape, so in a way, they were. You know, obviously they were a wrestling promotion, but for <laughs> Western fans like us, they might as well um, yeah. not have existed. Um, and of course, then you talk about um, Seri, um, you know, was sort of the big, um, you know, the big well known wrestler from uh, obviously Jaguar is well known, but I'm talking about, you know, sort of current younger wrestler she was the big well-known wrestler from that company and then it was announced that she was leaving and so then it really felt like okay this promotion that no one sees and now their big attraction is leaving and i agree with you that they started the shows you know seri wasn't there it was sort of like oh this is a fun thing that we finally get to see this promotion you know seri coming back uh, Haruka umasaki has gotten really good um they had Oscar in for for a while so i think it's a it's a very solid pick in terms of a company that is showing growth. i mean growth it's easy to grow sort of from we don't present any shows but you know i think at the beginning of the year if you say series leaving this promotion you would have said okay we'll never you know we'll never hear from this promotion again they just lost their biggest star and yet they've reached the end of the year with probably the most hype that they've ever had in the history of the promotion. I mean, they just presented the starlight kid uh, Haruka Umasaki match yesterday, or I believe it might've been today. Um, So definitely a company on the upswing. So I think it's a great pick, Aaron. Wow. I mean, I love this podcast. I'm having such a good time (laughs) Uh,
1: tag team of the year. This was tough for me. Not many stood out to me personally.
2: Yeah, it was tough for me as well, and one of my picks, I'm not even sure if it would be really counted as a Joshi tag team because it's a mixed um, team. Best bros in uh, Chaco Pro, which is Mace and Balianaki. Um, I thought they were great. Does it count as a Joshi tag team? Maybe not, um, but I thought they had such a great year. They were such a fun team that, I I couldn't see leaving them off. Um and I also picked uh Luminous. I thought Luminous had that great um title win in Diana. They also wrestled in um had some matches in Actress Girls. So I think a fun team, two really great wrestlers who are on the on the upswing and are doing good work. So that was, that was my two, because like you, Aaron, I also struggled a bit to think of strong tag teams.
1: Uh, Yeah. And I definitely, I also uh, included Luminous, but I I wanted to make sure that we talked about uh, Miyuki Takase, some who I think had an excellent year, but I'll talk about her a little more later. And then I included the, the Utami Hayashi, uh, Sai Kamitani team. I thought they've had a pretty strong run uh, as tag champs and, also, I mean, they did have that match. I hoped to see them lose, but they didn't lose. But I think they both really work well together. I hated seeing the uh, Utami-Momo team uh, break up, but I kind of enjoyed this iteration better, where it's Utami and Saya and Momo and Azumi. I kind of like the way they work together. So, uh, yeah, that was a team that also stood out to me somewhat from the year. Okay, hmm. now I'm thinking, should we do matches and then most outstanding? Uh, we really should have done a pre-pro on this probably, but uh, we didn't. So uh, let's just do Most Outstanding. Great. Yeah, so we're going to do Most Outstanding, and I guess we're also going to do Flair Thez. Uh, so the difference here, if you don't understand, and it I didn't uh, for some time, Most Outstanding literally just, you know, bell to bell, best wrestlers. Flair Thez uh, has more of a business aspect to it. So
2: we'll do Most Outstanding first. Yeah, so my three most outstanding, number three, uh, Meho Shizuki. I've um, talked about her a lot on this podcast. I think she's probably the top um, quote-unquote rookie in Marvelous, although at this point she's barely a rookie. she's had a number of great matches. She had uh, two matches against Maria, um, one in Marvelous and one in Sendai Girls earlier on in the year that I thought were both great. Um, had the was part of the uh six person tag in stardom had some strong matches at the assemble shows that she 's been on so I just think um a great year for her i'm hoping in uh twenty twenty one you know it was a bit um of a strange year for marvelous um, between COVID hitting and they weren't running shows and then they were running shows, but the shows haven't really have been less easily accessible than they have in the past. So I'm hoping 2021, you know, we talked about last time they started an eco channel. I know that they're doing some um, streaming pay per views. So hopefully in 2021 it gets a bit easier to see um Hoshizuki because she I think she's super talented. As we'll talk about in a little bit, she's appearing on that stardom show, um, that big stardom show coming up, which I think is really great. I think she's super talented. She's now in Sendai Girls, um, but just had a year of really very strong matches. Um, My number two is Mei Saruga. You know, I think Mei Saruga had a fantastic year, you know, majority of which was great matches in Chaco Pro but also appeared in started appearing in um Tokyo Joshi and appeared in um All Japan at one point. I think that was this year, if my brain is not totally um fooling me. So I just think the combination of the great matches, she had a big audience connection. A lot of people I think really connected with her a lot of times I would show friends matches or I'd say, oh, you should watch this match. And they really connected with Mesa And then my number one, um, Yuna Mizumori, um, by really a long shot, to give a little bit of um, sort of behind the scenes here, I keep a spreadsheet of every um, match that I watch in a given year. With all their star ratings and things like that. For the first year this year, I ended up to make this end of the year picks easier. um, You know, three and three quarter star matches and above gave the wrestlers sort of points. So you got 10 points for a five star match, eight for, you know, four and three quarters and so on down. And I will say that May Saruga finished the year with fifty one points, which is very high uh unamisorii finished with seventy two points um which is the equivalent of she didn't do this, but the equivalent of having over seven five star matches in one year, so clearly a lot of points she was by and far had a great arc in uh Chaco Pro and just put together seemingly almost every show she was on in the promotion uh, a, at the bare minimum, very, very good match. This guy's got a spreadsheet coming up
1: with points,
2: I got points. the wrestler. It's all about data. I'm all about the data of wrestling. <laughs> wow, apparently the fucking uh,
1: Chris Samsa of Joshi over here, Taylor Mainborg. Okay, well, I don't have points. I just kind of try to think about who I thought was good. <laughs> so for my number three, I went with May Suruga. Uh mainly I did so because let's see I can't remember if I did it on the show or if I just did this in like a DM with you but uh Saruga in the past was a little hard for me to get into and I thought this year uh between what she's done in different places you know especially in Choco Pro I just think she's uh a lot of people are going to say she was always excellent I'm going to say she maybe it opened my eyes I'm not exactly sure whether I missed it before or I just think she's gotten better. Uh, but I think a lot about that match that she had in Choco Pro with the the tag match where Riho was on the other side. And you could almost just kind of see it in her face of like, this is time for me to like show out and like prove what I can do. And uh, she did, and she did it in a lot of other matches throughout the year. So I thought Mesa Ruga uh, deserved a shout out, even though you already shouted her out. I also included Miyuki Takase. I I maybe like, i may be early on including Takase here. Uh, I think she's really good, but I think she's going to be like uh, exceptionally good. Uh, I'm going to, in one of the questions in a little bit, I'm probably going to bring her up. I just think she was uh, very good this year, but it's almost a, you know, something I'm expecting out of her in the future pick. Uh, And for me, I thought Mayu Watani was uh, the best wrestler of the year. She had uh, that excellent match with Momo. She had, the two big Iroha matches. Uh, and I know this maybe doesn't factor in as much, but she was doing it in the biggest uh, Joshi promotion. So I think that that accounts for something, or counts rather for something. So Mayu Watani is my number one. And then uh, the final of these awards, uh, the Flare Thes. So I, I guess it's, it's mostly like, who do you think drove business the best? I just think that's, I don't know that anybody drives business that much uh, in Joshi. I think this is a pretty tough one.
2: Yeah, it's a bit tricky. Um, I I sort of try to look at it drawing wise, but a little bit of it was um, it, it, it's a tricky category for Joshi, where obviously there aren't a lot of huge draws like there are in other places. So number three, I went with Momo Watanabe. You know, she wasn't at the top of the card, so it's a little bit tricky to you know say oh. She was a huge draw this year, but she's working for the biggest Joshi company around. And I think that she had a, even though she had less opportunities, um, as Aaron talked about, I think that she had a very solid year, all things considered, you know, considering that she didn't um, really have the opportunities that she's had in years past. I thought she did very well. Uh, Takumi Aroha, I went with for number two. You know, Marvelous isn't drawing huge houses, but Aroha has clearly been positioned or was positioned before her injury as the top star of Marvelous came over and had two great matches with uh, Mayu Iwatani. So I just thought a strong pick, clearly the leader, the head of um, Marvelous in terms of the sort of wrestlers, I should say. Um so she was my number two pick. And my number one pick was Mayu Iwatani. Had a great in-ring year anyway, but then of course is clearly the biggest draw in the biggest company um in in Joshi. So to me Mayu was an easy pick because she really checks all the boxes. She really is the one person in this category that I think is the solid home run pick in terms of in-ring and draw. Yeah, I'm just, uh, my list is one deep and it's Mayu
1: Iwatani, who I think absolutely, uh, especially this year with stardom, having a a dearth of star power, as we talked about, I think Mayu Iwatani's presence has allowed them to uh, be able to continue uh, drawing at the level, even at the level that they have. So Uh, I just don't see a lot of, especially this year, I didn't see a lot of people moving business in any real way, Uh, but I'll give a shout-out to Mayu here.
2: Yeah, and it's it's sort of funny to me that I look back at, um, you know, my ratings and Mayu's matches that she sometimes feels a bit, you know, she is the big star of stardom. I don't think anyone would disagree with that, but sometimes it does feel a bit like she's under – sort of under the radar in terms of, I think back to when, you know, Io Shirai was around or in stardom, you know, she was always in contention for big awards. You know, she was making top wrestler of the year um, lists with, you know, male wrestlers, New Japan wrestlers, or, you know, WWE wrestlers or what have you. And I feel like Mayu has a similar volume and quality of output as Io has, but seemingly doesn't quite get that that sort of level of recognition where it was like, oh yeah, Io we know is, you know, she's incredible. I think Mayu is maybe not directly at that level, but very close, but just doesn't seem to get the outside of Joshi um notice that eo does which is sort of a bummer because looking back i think that she had another really strong great year yes i agree very much so
1: uh how do you want to do the the matches you just want to do all 10 of them or you want to go back and forth i think
2: we should go back and forth starting from um number 10
1: okay uh all right well get us started what was your 10th favorite match of the year
2: all right, so my number 10 match was Arisa Nakajima versus Yoshiko from Seedling on July 13th, 2020. Um, this was the match in which uh, Yoshiko won the Beyond the Sea title. Um, just thought it was a great match, exactly what these two um, would be expected to deliver. Actually, strangely enough, think putting this at 10, I've talked with a lot of people who have this as their Joshi, their top Joshi match of the year. Just thought it was really hard hitting. Obviously a big story of Yoshiko, who's been the um, sort of focus of the company, even though she hadn't had the you know, title. She hadn't had the Beyond the Sea title yet. And the story of her finally getting um, that title, beating Arisa, I thought it was a really... Uh, really great match that delivered what you expect. You know, so many times you go in and you say, oh, this match, it has the potential to be really good and it doesn't quite get there. But this match I thought was really, um, really excellent. I want to be clear that my brain is very bad
1: and I honestly don't even remember some of these matches that made it on my list. Uh, But what I tried to do was, I tried to, I did the worst job I've ever done of tracking matches this year. I try to at least make a note if a match is four stars or better. So I tried to find the ones that I rated the highest. And then I also tried to account for um, promotion diversity. So, you know, I wanted to throw in some to just for shout out purposes. Uh, but yeah, I guess I'll comment more on matches that I have a really strong memory of. But uh, the first one is not one such match. My 10th match, Miyuki Takase versus Nagasino Ozaki. From Actors girls on March fifteenth. In my defense, that was a long ass time ago. It was,
2: and I'll help. Uh, I'll say this: I won't give it away now, but I'll give you a little bit of help um, a little bit later on. Okay. So good, maybe for the best that you don't go deep into in depth. In, yes, uh, for that match. All right, um, um, ninth. So my number nine is Oscar versus Ayako Sato from the Diana Corakin show on October eleventh. I uh, just thought it was a great match. It features really um, – if you're someone who hasn't watched a lot of Asuka this year and you want to, you know, you say, well, I want to see what all the hype is about um, for this restaurant, I think that's a really great encapsulation of um, what made her so good um, this year. So, yes, a very strong match. We've already talked about Diana, you know, on the rise, and I think that this was a great cap to um, a Korakin show, which f- for a promotion like Diana is a big deal um, and thought it was a great headliner. So that is my number nine match. I also have a Diana match number nine. It's the aforementioned Kaoru
1: Ito and Tomoko Watanabe versus the luminous team of Haruka, Lumasaki um, and Miyuki Takase. Um, so Miyuki Takase appears in both my first two matches. This one I do remember pretty well. It's just, You know, Ito and Wadnabe uh, just kind of can't move that much. And they did one of the best examples I've ever seen of having this other team just work around that and and bump for them. And it just made it into like a very compelling match. Um, You know, there's a lot laid into, you know, work rate uh, and what that might mean. But, you know, this proves not that it needed to be proved, but that you can have a great match. Uh, including two people that really can't do anything athletically of any note. Uh, So I just think a lot of the context of the match uh, makes it even better, but also on its own, um, on its own terms, it was just a great match. My number. Yeah. You're going to explain to me
2: uh, what happened in that match. I talked about earlier. (laughs) is Miyuki Takase versus Nagisa Nozaki from Actress Girls on March 15th. That was a long time ago. Um, and it's funny because they did two matches. They had a match in Actress Girls for the Actress Girls title. And then I think a w- couple weeks or maybe a month later, they had a match in Wave for the Regina De Wave. I struggled to um sort of in my mind separate them so i just went with the first one because i think the first one is the one i liked slightly better i gave them both the same exact um star rating which made it a little bit more difficult but i think it was just a great um you know it's what i like in a match it was very hard hitting um you know as aaron said i don't remember you know i said oh aaron i'll help you out i don't remember too much about it Because it was back in March, which feels like so long ago, but just hard hitting. I thought sort of in putting this match on, I'm sort of putting both of them together because I thought it was a great, you know, they delivered one match and then they came back out and had to deliver again, uh, which is often very hard to do. Uh, you often see people who the first match, they'll sort of hold back. They'll say, okay, we have all these ideas, but we're wrestling in three weeks, so we can't do everything. Um, and I thought they'd left it all out there twice in a row, hard hitting, lots of near falls. So um, to me, a great match. Um, but you could have picked either the actress girls or the wave match um, to put on the list.
1: All right, next up on my list was uh, the Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestle Princess main event of Yuki Sakazaki versus Mizuki uh, match. I mean, I, we talked about this pretty recently on the show, so no real reason for me to uh, dive back into it. But uh, that, the, the the moment of Mizuki hitting the, uh,
2: what's that move called? <laughs> the, uh, her like- Oh, her new, the new one? Yeah. Oh, what is it called? Oh, I'm can't... terrible, as we've talked about on the show. Yeah. But everybody's terrible. I mean.
1: She kind of like climbs yeah. up on their shoulder and then does the spin in in midair. Um, it's just like as bad as my memory is. That is just indelibly indelibly branded into my into my mind. Uh, so you know, we talked about it before the show of whether it was time for Mizuki to get the big win, but it kind of in the end made sense for. Uh, yuka to win and uh, it was a match that i really enjoyed so it's on my list
2: at number what eight Eight. my number seven match is emi sakura and riho against yuna Mizumori and may saruga so a lot of people we talked about on our best of lists from this match was choco pro 50 uh, from september 27th of this year it's funny because I looked at my list after I had put everything together and Riho ended the year very high considering that for many months she didn't wrestle. And a lot of her matches were in stardom where she was essentially given not much if, you know, nothing to do. But I think every time she came to Chaco Pro, it felt very special you could tell that, as Aaron mentioned, that people were very excited to have her and wanted to sort of put the best you know their best foot forward. I think Riho came back and had a lot of fun, which really helped so I really um enjoyed this match. I thought it was the four sort of best people um in Chaco Pro with Yuna and May on one side, and obviously Emmy uh and Riho on the other thought it was. You know, lots of near falls. You know, fun. It's always fun in that you know Ichigawa Chocolate Square to see the way that the wrestlers utilize that space, especially in these sort of matches that are um, sort of more hyped or bigger deals. Um, But I thought it was a lot of fun and and an excellent match.
1: Okay, so moving on to number seven. Uh, This is my Choco Pro representative on the on the list I went with uh Mesuruga versus Mitsurakono uh, uh from July 19th I think this was Choco Pro 33 uh this has the big slap spot in it right isn't that this match uh I believe it is I believe it is that match yeah I think so uh and this was one where yeah may, I'm like okay this maybe I'm wrong about suruga, but also just a pretty good example of how good uh Kono is who I thought is maybe slightly underrated as far as uh, Choco Pro goes. Uh, But, yeah, just like a very physical, um, hard-hitting match, uh, you know, in the
2: waiting room of a dentist's office, like just everything you want. My number six match is Miyako Matsumoto versus Cypress Ueno uh, from Gaka no Fuchi, the Nobody show on June 5th. this is I think we talked about how Chaco Pro really utilized the break or the lockdown to their advantage. I think this was really the other um, it was only one match um, but it really utilized sort of the restrictions to benefit them um, if you haven't seen it, it is a um it is a match with no one in the ring, um, no one at ringside and no announcers in the building, but you hear um, you hear the match going on, and there is a cameraman who is quote unquote, following the action of what is, you know, going on in the ring. And you can hear the match happening, um, but there is no one there. I just thought it was super unique. Um, you know, Matsumoto had a super interesting year. I also considered her one, her January 4th match against Chris Brooks. Um, that was one where I, I thought, well, is this a Joshi match? Cause it has Chris Brooks in it. I don't know. So I went with this, this other match. Cause I just think it was so unique. Um, totally, you know, outside the box, outside of really everything. You will not see another match like this this year or probably any other year um, in wrestling. So that I had to put it on my list. I actually didn't give it, you know, it's a match that's very hard to rate and say, oh, this match is a, you know, four and a half star match, but I knew I had to get it on this list. Cause I think it was so fun and so unique. I had to include my next match, not just because I loved it, but
1: because um, it drives people crazy that I love this match. Apparently, uh, Julia versus Konami from Stardom's November 15th show. Uh, we talked about this at length on a previous show, so I will not go back through all that. But uh, with a slightly different finish, this would have been much higher on my list. I thought it was uh, one of the best match, obviously one of the best matches of the year. Uh, certainly one of Stardom's best matches of the year and I really highlighted how much Julia has improved.
2: My number five match is Meho Shizuki versus Maria from the Marvelous show on January 19th. I think this was the best representation of the style of the Marvelous rookies. Um, you know, just 100% energy. The entire time working hard, hitting each other hard, going a hundred miles an hour, you know you don't know who's gonna win because they're you know two sort of rookies on equal standing with each other um they had something to fight for, which is that the winner got to wrestle in the main event of the show, so I just thought this was the best distillation of what really has drawn me in with these marvelous rookies in terms of them really not hold never holding back in any of the matches they're in, but especially against a fellow rookie. Um thought it was an excellent, excellent match.
1: All right. Uh stardom does appear on my list a few times. Uh this one I haven't heard get a lot of love at like year end, but I just adored this match. It was a uh I forget where this took place. It was in a very small city. I'm trying to remember now, but it was Julia, Shuri, Micah, and Himika versus Momo Watanabe, Utami Hayashita, Azumi, and Sayakami Tani uh, from Stardom's July 24th show. Uh, eight-man tag that was just like balls to the wall action from uh, the time the bell rang until it was over, which is just what I like. Very fast-paced, hard-hitting matches. So it ticked all those boxes for me. The uh, The Eight man tag tradition continued here. That's a Gabe Sapolsky joke for everybody.
2: <laughs> Very appropriate. I bet the listeners of this Joshi podcast really <laughs> love, really loved it, and also got it and yeah. appreciated it. Right. That's why I didn't need to explain it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my number four match. This sort of starts um, in in a way that I think that the. The matches that always resonate with me, regardless of year, are ones that combine obviously great in ring work, but with some sort of storyline that you can invest in. So, this one is the first example of that, which is Mayumi Ozaki versus Sayori Ono from the Oz Academy uh, Yokohama Buntai show on August 28th. Obviously, um, you have the story of Sayori, you know sort of feuding with uh, Sekigun. So that was the story of it. You know, Sayori coming out at the beginning of the match in all white, as opposed to Mayumi in, um, you know, black. I thought it was super, you know, they were really going at each other. Sayori's bleeding all over the place. She's wearing white. So I just thought it was an excellent match. But I think the thing that really puts it over the top for me is that you know, storyline, something to invest in. So that is my number four match of the year.
1: Number four for me. I talked about this earlier, the Sukasa Fujimoto-Suzu Suzuki match from Ice Ribbon on March 15th. And I also, that makes me realize that two of my top 10 matches happened on March 15th. That was a a good day for you. It was a great day. But yeah, that's my uh, number four match. Um, As I mentioned about the first March 15th match, I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember that it was excellent.
2: (laughs) My number three match is uh, Kagetsu and Mayu Iwatani versus the reformed J.K. Green, Jungle Kiona, and Momo Watanabe from the Stardom 9th anniversary show in Osaka on January 26th. This really, to me, in many ways felt like a throwback style match to when i started in stardom when there was you know it was a lot of Eo, shirai and kairi hojo teaming up it was just very you know quick pace near falls hard hitting i mean really four of the um best wrestlers in the company in one match you know at that point Kagetsu was getting close um two retiring, so really leaving it all out. Really enjoyed the uh, one-night reform of J.K. Green with Jungle Kiona and Momo Watanabe. So just thought it was an excellent um, match, the, really the one match in my top four that didn't have that, you know, didn't have an overt previous story. Obviously, things like J.K. Green reforming, kagetsu retiring, um, and things like that. But Just thought it was a great match. Really felt like sort of a throwback to a few years ago um, in stardom.
1: My number three uh, is my final stardom match on my list. I guess I kind of bunched them all up here. Mayu Mayu Iwatani versus Momo Watanabe from January 19th. Uh, This was just kind of like a classic Momo main event style match. She was excellent. It also had the really uh, gripping... Uh, post-match where, you know, Momo is basically talking about how she's just going to keep fighting to try to get to Mayu's level. And at the time, you know, I think I talked about this. I think I talked about this on this show. I don't know. When did we start doing this show? Right around COVID. But anyway, uh, where it's like, oh, is the story going to be that like Momo has to now work her way back up over several years from uh, the bottom to like finally getting to that match where she eventually beats Mayu Watani. And that's kind of what this left me with. I I think this was also
2: when B Priestley turned on her after this match. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but anyway, it was a great match. My number two match is, it was on Aaron's list as well, Yuka Sakazaki versus Mizuki from Tokyo Joshi Wrestle Princess on November 7th. We covered it on the show, all the things I enjoyed about it. Aaron also mentioned it before, just a great match. And as I mentioned, a combination of great, uh, really strong in-ring work with obviously a very compelling um, story to go along with it.
1: My number two, bizarrely, we both listed an Arisa Nakajima versus Yoshiko match uh, from Seedling, but different ones. And I have the January 24th match.
2: As uh, by preferred, of the two, uh, and in fact, one of my favorite matches of the year. And my number one match of the year was Emmy Sakura versus Unamizamori from Choco Pro Twenty Eight on June thirtieth. Um, I think you know I've talked already a lot about Chaco Pro. I don't know. You could probably make a couple arguments, but I think that this really was the um, peak of the promotion in terms of uh, an incredible in-ring match married to a really um, great story. The story of Yuna Mizumori trying to prove herself, you know, to sort of prove herself to Emmy, but also to herself in a way. Um, And this was the culmination of that. There were a couple other matches I, I could probably consider as the, you know, as hitting that peak as well. But I think that this was sort of the first one that happened. So in that way, it sort of had the advantage of being the It had the newness to it where really watching it, I was like, wow, I can't believe how well they've really created this compelling storyline along with just having an incredible match that, that would be incredible anywhere. You know, you have it in this very small space, but they could have had it in a, you know, in a ring. It would have been equally as good, um, really throwing everything at each other, um, giving 100%. So that, to me, the clear match of the year for me. I've got a weird one as my match of the year.
1: Uh, Honestly, it wasn't my most highly rated match of the year. But when I went back to think about these matches, this was the one. That I've probably thought about the most throughout the year and that I think upon the most fondly. Uh so I went with number one. It didn't even happen in a Joshi promotion. Uh this was Mayumi Ozaki and Ano versus Aja Kong and Hiroyo Matsumoto in zero one. This was the uh, you know, plasma
2: super what's it called? <laughs> plasma blast. I don't remember what this specific one was called, but I think plasma blast death man. Yeah. I think
1: yeah the the plasma death match idea uh, with you know the explosions which we all love explosions don't we folks so um, it made me I'm trying to like uh, glamp while I pull up what it was called the blast queen title super plasma blast death match so anyway there were explosions you got to do the gimmick where you have to you try to turn on the 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 uh, the electricity to the to the thing but then you got to get there, and get turned off, you know, whatever. I don't know. It was fun. It's just just like, as I've gone through life watching way too much wrestling, it's just gotten to the point where uh, I really need like something vaguely dumb uh, to really enjoy it. And this hit that sweet spot of like having this kind of goofy setup, but with also being like very compelling and, um, you know, getting me on the edge of my seat watching it. So I love this match. Go watch it, but watch the one that where the finish does not
2: happen in uh, a little small square like Taylor watched it. Yeah. I liked it. You liked the match so much that briefly you turned into a comedian doing crowd work. Uh, <laughs> we love like explosions. Don't we folks? <laughs> you sir, Where are you from? Do you like explosions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: There you go. And it happened at Colts Kawasaki, one of my favorite named arenas. So,
2: well, that is the—that's uh, all of it. That's all the awards. Yeah, that took longer than I thought it was going to. Well, we had a, we had a lot to say, as always.
1: We did, but we have a lot of questions too to get to. All right, let's get them started. Uh, my good friend Thoros asks on Twitter, uh, "Who would be a good slash plausible next Beyond the Sea champ besides just going back to Arisa?"
2: Um, this is an interesting one because I. I don't know only because I feel like Yoshiko might hold the title for a long time. So it might be that that next person might not, um, it might not be obvious yet because they have some time. I was trying to think of um, people. Obviously I don't know that there's anyone, obviously it's probably not going to be honori Hana, you know, next month beating Yoshiko for the title. I thought an interesting one might be, you know, Maya Yukihi is, um obviously not the ice ribbon champion anymore now that she was defeated by Suzu Suzuki i think her coming in and holding the title for a bit um they are working uh, seedling is working with ice ribbon i think that you know might be fun i don't know how plausible it is um but i think currently in the company i mean it's only 6 people so i think yoshiko's going to hold it for a while so i don't know that there really is that next person quite yet. All right. Um, Gerard De Trulio, uh in the VOW Discord
1: asks, where do you see Sendai Girls a year from now if Satomura remains in NXT UK for all that time? Uh, to me, I think this is like tough to sort because I don't really know who's in power at this point. I don't know what uh, Mako's involvement is at this point, but it's like, would it be that surprising to you if, if Sendai Girls cease to exist at some point?
2: I would be a little bit surprised in that it feels Sendai Girls is in the, it's sort of in a bucket with it's that and it's um, sort of Oz is in the same bucket where it feels like the ship has been pointed in a direction and they're just sort of going. It's just like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to run these shows. They're going to draw, you know, a hundred people or 200 people or however many it is. Then maybe once a year, we have a big show. It draws, you know, a bunch of people and that's what we do. I don't know that they're trying to do anything that would sink them. You know, I don't know if maybe people say, well, we're going to stop going if Mako's not wrestling, but she wasn't the focus of, you know, she wasn't in title matches. She wasn't holding titles really. Um, But it is tricky because, you know, if someone comes in or if, you know, if Mako was booking and now Mako's not booking, we don't know if that's the case. And someone comes in who ends up being a great booker, you know, they could maybe do better. But I just think they're a company now that is sort of they are where they are. They're not trying to, you know, become the top company And they don't seem to me, I don't know their finances, they don't seem to me like they're going to close. So the boring answer to this is they might be in the same position they are now, just they don't have Mako on a lot of these shows.
1: All right. Ed Cardin in the VOW Discord had a couple of questions. First, if Stardom is the top Joshi promotion right now, who is number two? I just want to be clear that Stardom is unquestionably the top Joshi promotion. Yes, I I think very strange, not the who's number two, but who's number one, I find a very strange uh, discussion.
2: Yes, it is stardom. I think number two is either. I mean, it's either Tokyo Joshi or Ice Ribbon. Yeah, it depends how you define it. Right. Like.
1: And I also think it's hard for us because it's hard to separate. Like, who's the biggest as a Western fan? Uh, versus, like, which is the
2: biggest promotion in Japan? I mean, I would probably go with Ice Ribbon just because they run so many shows. Um, And just the number of shows, and then they're able to run Korokin with some degree of regularity. um, As we'll talk about in a bit, they seem to be getting in some alliance with all Japan, which might help them um, grow the company a little. I think you could, you could probably make an argument for either, but I would go with ice ribbon just because of their schedule seems to be the schedule of a company. That's a bit bigger than Tokyo Joshi, which runs, you know, Kork four times a year and, you know, hasn't had a lot of huge, huge shows. I would agree with you on that.
1: Uh, next, once travel restrictions lift, who are some American slash Western talents you think would both benefit from and be a
2: good fit to tour with Joshi Promotions? Well, I'll say this. The first thing that comes to mind, maybe because I watched a match with her um, this week that was very good. Priscilla Kelly um, had a great match um, with Thunder Rosa on the most recent NWA Shockwave. I got to watch that. I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's excellent. It was... Um, you know, this is meant as a compliment. It was very surprising. Priscilla Kelly looked excellent, very good, um, great strikes, you know, really had it all. She has appeared in Tokyo Joshi, but it was sort of as a more um it, it had a comedy bent to her matches a lot of the times. So I would love to see her come back and do something You know, not that this would happen, but do something with a seedling, for example, that would fit her more, you know, hard hitting um, persona that she seems to have um, adopted. And, you know, the other option is this is sort of, um, you know, beating a dead horse a little bit. But, you know, the people in AEW, there's a whole list of them. You know, I think Penelope Ford is one who could really benefit from coming over to a place like Marvelous where she would be able to train with um, Chagusa, who's a great trainer and really get that little boost because I think uh, Penelope Ford is very good, but is, you know, sort of missing that next level. And I think a lot of that next level might come from, you know, a different perspective and also a good trainer. Um, So those would be my two picks. Yeah. There's a lot of people from AEW,
1: especially, you know, that I see on dark that I would love to see get a Japanese tour. Ty Conti is one who I think could really benefit uh, from something like that, even though I think she's already quite good. Uh, I mean, Penelope was the one I would have also mentioned and uh, you nailed that. But, uh, and while we're talking about Ty Conti, why not Anna J get her some reps? Um, I think those people are probably going to be more featured and, so not get a really a chance to go do something like that, uh, but there's certainly people who I think would work, and then some people who have gotten tours before. Uh, let's fight about it right here. Layla Hirsch, who I really like, and Taylor thinks is uh, the shits. Um,
2: Excuse me, I do <laughs> not. I do not think that. <laughs>
1: that, I'm is, that was a joke. That is categorically false. Kidding. I was kidding. I just. Anyway, she's gotten a Japanese tour before, but it would uh, be good. And uh, frankly, I'd just love to see uh, Jamie Hayter back in Japan.
2: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, hopefully a lot of the people who were there, (laughs) a lot of people who were there regularly will come back. I'm hoping. Here's hoping.
1: Um, Okay. Uh, Rika Tatsumi slipping into the VNW Discord. Very nice uh, to ask a couple of questions. One, Why has Mika Iwata already
2: eaten a pin? If I knew that, (laughs) Rika. Yeah. um, I mean, it's tough because she was out, you know, with the injury. So I think in a way that her coming back is sort of a restart. I know there's frustration that she, you know, has not been at the top of the company when she should be. I'm not too worried yet. Sendai girls, as we just mentioned, is it's sort of in wait and see mode see what happens is someone new booking it you know if in six months she's sitting in the mid quote-unquote mid card as she's always been then we can sort of talk about it for now i'm taking a sort of long view wait and see approach with that
1: uh and then of course rika's other question is rika tatsumi winning all the awards and belts in 2021
2: um I'm going to say no, because she probably wouldn't win all the awards. For example, she, Rika Tetsumi probably by herself could not win best tag team um, of the year. She so also maybe, can't win most uh, overrated and most underrated. You know, correct. Be- that is correct. Um, and she's already very good, so the chance of her winning most improved uh, probably is tough unless she I, – I guess she could improve and become – incredible. I guess that is possible. Um, I, I mean, I think that she's clearly near the top of Tokyo Joshi. So the chance of her holding a belt, um, it may not be the top title in Tokyo Joshi, but you know, she could win the tag titles again. So it certainly could happen. Um, because I think she is one of the, um, better, in-ring workers in Tokyo Joshi. So she'll always sort of be in the conversation. All
1: right. A few questions from our friend, Tim dog who asks first, which match do you think will end highest on the VOW match of the year list? Uh, And secondary to that, will the two Iroha Iwatani
2: matches cannibalize each other? So I think that there's a couple things that have to happen in order for a Joshi match to finish high on the voices of wrestling match of the year list. They are that the match has to have happened in August or later. It's (laughs) it's usually on a big show and it's something that at the time it has to have some sort of feeling that it gets past the Joshi bubble. Um, Just because I think it is very hard because a lot of people who vote in that Um, for that list most of them probably have seen less than five women's matches you know joshi matches in the year so you really have to have something that the joshi community can rally around i mean the recency is a thing that i think that's just a fact because you look back at the matches that have finished highly and i think the earliest one was the um hikaru shida aja kong match a few years back, which I think happened in August. So my pick would be the um, Yuka Sakazaki Mizuki match from Tokyo Joshi. You know, it's easily accessible because it's on Russell universe. It happened in November. So it's still fairly recent. It got good reviews and people sort of outside the bubble of Joshi watched it, you know, they reviewed it on the Voices of Wrestling flagship, which almost never happens. So that would be my point. That would be my choice. I think stardom is always difficult because I think they have the drawback of they run so many matches and they have so many contenders, even outside of the two Aroha Iwatani matches. I think there's so many options in stardom. I mean, you heard... Aaron and I's matches match of the year lists. And we had different stardom matches on the list, even just the two of us. So I think that is the thing that does cannibalizing for stardom more than, you know, just the two Aroha Iwantani matches.
1: Yeah. I mean, as it comes to those, I mean, I just, I don't know, maybe this isn't a widely shared belief, but I just think the first one was, so much superior to the second one that I don't think that'll happen but uh could be wrong.
2: Aaron, I think you'll be surprised to find that that is not the popular <laughs> that is really? not the popular opinion though. No. I believe the I believe the popular opinion is that the second one is is better. Wow. I huh, I don't think it's particularly close,
1: but that's interesting. Okay. Uh, Tim also asks, do you think Sayida is a fan of Pro Wrestling Gorilla? We get it, Tim. I got the
2: joke. Do you think they get the the DVDs over there? Are the DVDs at like Totokan? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Have I ever seen them there? I bet they probably are there, frankly. Yeah, Um, but I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I didn't look for them, certainly but that's an expensive, that's an expensive, you know, a DVD based, um, you know, viewing model would probably be expensive in Japan getting the DVDs from America. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say no.
1: Okay. Uh, Do you think we'll see any of Utami's siblings become wrestlers? To me, there's so many of them that that chances
2: are high. Got to be one of them. Chances are high. And especially if Utami, you know does become more successful i think that would be probably more of a draw for siblings to say wow look at you know look at this she's at the top of the company she has all these fans so you know sure
1: and i will say this uh bleeds into the next question but my uh my japanese teacher after utami won what did she win the uh five star my japanese teacher mentioned it to me the next time we had a lesson like it was she saw it on some news site. So I think, you know, that could probably help if it's getting like relatively mainstream um, news coverage because of who she is. So anyway, Tindog Dog also asked for me, how is the Japanese going? And do I have any tips for staying motivated? Uh, the Japanese is going pretty well. I will say this. It's a very difficult language to learn. Um, so, you know, I do have my, I certainly have my struggles and there's some things that I repeatedly get wrong and my uh, teacher has to help me with. Uh, My tips for staying motivated are uh, hire a private uh, teacher because Mm -hmm. she gives me homework or whatever for each week and it's like then I feel like I really have to do it (laughs) or I'm gonna uh, I mean it's like it's funny because you know obviously I pay her and so I guess I could just not do it and then I would just Really, I would be the one losing. What does she care if I don't do it? But it makes me think like oh, I really have to do this. So if your brain works that way, uh, my my tip would be yeah, hire someone to uh, to keep you motivated in that way. Um, also, you know, if you're planning, a, and I know it's hard to plan trips right now because of everything, but if you're planning to go to Japan, uh, you know, I think it's good to uh, that can help you stay motivated. Not that you really need to you don't need to speak Japanese. I didn't speak, but like five phrases when we went. Uh, but I do think it would be helpful and perhaps more fun if you uh, understood the language while you were there. So those are my tips. Except, uh, is it possible that an under-the-radar Joshi company steps up in the next year as a major or at least bigger force in the scene? Uh, this question is from Ricardo on Twitter.
2: Um, my pick would be, I think Actress Girls is an interesting company to to keep an eye on they clearly have, you know, they started a streaming service this year. Um, There's been some movement, people going out of the company. I just think they're interesting because I think that they are a company that has aspirations to get bigger. You know, as I talked about Oz Academy, I don't think is ever going to, you know, say, Oh, we've got to become a huge big company and draw, you know, tons of people every time. But I think Actors Girls has that sort of motivation. They have a great roster. Um, They have sort of the draw of this, you know, performance, you know, the wrestling, but also the performance base, which is unique. You know, Tokyo Joshi has a little bit of it. um, But Tokyo Joshi is sort of more larger than life um, characters where actress girls is a little bit more serious than that. So I think actress girls would probably be for me, the company to keep your eye on, to see what they do in 2021.
1: Uh, What are some young wrestlers we should keep our eyes on in 2021?
2: Well, I think we've sort of mentioned them all in our awards. I mean, Haruka Umasaki with Diana getting, you know, a bigger presence um, is someone to keep your eye on. Um, the rookies from Seedling, you know, Honorihana and Riko Kaiju, just because it's interesting to see what happens with them. We don't know what their path forward is um, in terms of sort of what kind of push they're going to get, what their experience will be. Um, and, of course, young wrestlers, um, we're getting to the point where I believe all of the quote-unquote marvelous rookies, you know, Maria, Meho, Shizuki, Um, It's already happened with Makoto Shindo are going to become um, are going to sort of, quote unquote, graduate into being wrestlers. I believe they'll get new gear like Makoto Shindo got. So I think that will be interesting once they're full fledged, you know, no longer rookies. It will be interesting to see what happens with them. Yes, I think you covered
1: uh, most of the uh, major
2: young wrestlers. Uh, Any thoughts on
1: the weird OSU card? That's the OSU card, Ricardo. And all the returns. Um, here's the card Megumi Kudo versus Shark Tsuchiya. Cutie Suzuki versus Rumi Kazuma. Dump Matsumoto and Bull Nakano versus Jumbo Ori and Yukari Omori. Aja Kong, Tsukasa Fujimoto, and X versus Yumiko Hota, Michiko Omukai,
2: and Sari. Yeah, really very interesting. The show's happening on the uh, December 26th. It's supposedly, I believe, backed by people who back Zero One or something like that. Um, My thoughts is, as you said in the question, very strange um, outside of that top match that has Aja Kong and Fujimoto and Seri in it. I believe underneath, all the wrestlers combined underneath have wrestled maybe... Fifteen minutes in the last five years, um, Dump Matsumoto was on the second Assemble card, um, which makes her, I think, almost by default, the most experienced wrestler in the last five years out of all of these people. Uh, Bull Nakano has wrestled thirty-three seconds in the last five years, so I don't know how this is going to happen. I could equally see the sh- th- they come to the date of the show and there's some sort of switch. You know, sort of bait and switch where they're like, oh, the thing that's going to happen actually is they're going to do a debate or something. Um, but I don't really know because we haven't seen these people. Are they going to be still able to go in the ring? I have no idea. Um, I hope it makes tape because I'm fascinated to see either way what happens. Um, and I would love to see, you know, Bull Nakano, who I really love, and obviously haven't seen wrestled very much in the past, even in the past decade, um, haven't seen very much. So I will um, be keeping my eye on this to see exactly what happens. It's a bit of a, bit of a bizarre um, occurrence.
1: Uh, J Bish 137 on Twitter asks, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, your thoughts on the all Japan uh, and ice ribbon thing that appears to be happening.
2: Yeah. I think it's super interesting I think we've seen, you know, we saw stardom. How did they get bigger? They got bought by a, you know, they got taken over by Bushy Road. Um, But obviously that's not going to happen with every company. And Ice Ribbon is at the top. But I think at a point now where they have to sort of try some things to get more eyes on the promotion. And I think that some sort of Ice Ribbon, you know, working relationship with all Japan Um, you know all Japan is a sort of not at the top it's well regarded has some good wrestlers you know it's not perfect there's been some criticisms with the booking um, this year but I think it would be interesting and I think it would be beneficial for Ice Ribbon to get more eyes on the promotion which is never a bad thing especially with Ice Ribbon that as I mentioned can deliver in ring and I don't think if, you know, if they were put on an all Japan show that people are going to sit there and go, oh, this is terrible. You know, oh, this is horrible. I think it's only going to going to benefit and get more eyes on the promotion.
1: It also goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the number two promotion or whatever is, uh, you know, the like you said, we can argue about Ice Ribbon versus Tokyo Joshi. But Tokyo Joshi is part of Cyber Agent, even though I don't know that they put a ton of like uh, resources into Tokyo Joshi Pro considering the people who I don't know, either had to be cut by Tokyo Joshi for budget reasons or start them outbid them for. I don't know what the story is on that really. But anyway, it makes sense for Ice Ribbon to team up with someone so that they can try to uh jump to that next level. So I don't know if it if it's gonna help them grow, then I'm for it, basically, is my thought. Uh and then uh Velkesh Brasha, and I apologize, Velkesh, if if you want to help me better pronounce your name, please slide into my DMS or at me and tell me uh, the right way to pronounce your name. So I don't screw it up. Uh, which up up girl will get a title reign first and which belt? Well, let's here. There's like three Tokyo Joshi pro questions. So let's group those. Which up, up girl will get a title reign first and which belt is Yuka Sakazaki, the ace of Tokyo Joshi pro and who should win the next princess cup? Answer those in your own way, Taylor.
2: Well, I'll rank the up-up girls. I think it would be, number one would be Miyu, number two would be Hikari, and number three would be Raku. Um, I'm not sure that that would be controversial. And I think that the international princess um, title is very interesting now because now, at least for the time being, there aren't any, you know, foreign wrestlers, Western wrestlers coming over. So it's going to be a Japan-focused belt, and I think that, you know, That seems to me, I don't think any of these people are going to be boosted right into the top title scene, especially when you already have a grouping of wrestlers who are at that level and can sort of mix and match there. You know, Yuka, uh, Mizuki, uh, Rika Tatsumi, Miyu, um, and things like that. So that would be my choice there. I think Yuka is the ace um of tokyo joshi i mean she has the title she has represented um the company in aew which seems to me like um you know i don't know how that decision was made but it i would imagine the company had some say in that and probably would have said this is the person we want representing us uh so i would say yes who should win the next princess cup um i mean it could be someone like you know, Hikari Noah had a good showing in that international um, tournament. She got pretty far. So I think if you're looking to move someone up, she could be um, a solid candidate.
1: I like that idea. That makes sense. Uh, you know, we still have, you know, I'm trying to think of who all was in the uh, semifinals this year. But like, uh, you know, Maki Ito is still someone who uh, certainly uh, it would make sense for her to be in that um in that group, she would make sense as someone to win and go on for a uh, for a title shot. So that's the other person I would put up besides somebody like Hikari Noah. Uh, next question: Did you feel that Mayu would never be on top after Momo
2: beat her in 2018 when she challenged for the white belt? So I'll just sort of tackle this more generally in that there is because uh, you know we do these shows and in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Um, we do have conversations about things that come up or things that, you know, I say and people agree or disagree. And I think there is a weird thought that Mayu sort of was, you know, until maybe this year or the year before was sort of a mid card, you know, not nobody, but sort of a mid card wrestler was just sort of there. But in my memory, you know, I watched, I started watching in twenty. 20- 14. And to me, you know, obviously she was in this grouping with EO and Kyrie who EO was the biggest star in Joshi and probably the biggest star in Joshi in the last 10 years. Kyrie obviously had the huge fan connection. She was very talented in the ring, but I feel like sometimes people say, well, she was number three in the group as if she was just some sort of like, they couldn't figure out who else to put with them. So they were like, Oh, we'll just put this random. I mean, to me, Mayu has been, you know, even if she's not at the top direction, she's not holding a belt. I mean, she has been the top star in this company for at least the last three years, I would think, back to 2017. She held the title, you know, for a while. Then she got injured, unfortunately, which was out of anyone's control. But to me, you know, Aaron, I don't know if you disagree with this, but I feel like she has always been the top star in this company for the last three years, certainly since Io and Kyrie left. It has been her, you know, and then they elevated Momo. But to me, Mayu is sort of the legacy, you know, the legacy star that, you know, she was a star. And even if they elevate more people and they get more stars, she will remain a star you know, also because she can produce so consistently in the ring. But I think that she has that, you know, she was one of the first people in the company. She has a sort of clout um, having been around. She has the fan connection. So to me, she's been a star. So the question of she would not be on top, she's been on top. And I think even when she's not holding a title, she's she's either the top or one of the top stars in the promotion. She is currently the top star. I don't think it's...
1: Questionable, really, uh, and I agree with you that she's been the top star since at least since Eo and Kyrie left. Uh, yeah, she's the uh, she's the uh, icon of stardom for a reason, right? <laughs> That's what they call her, anyway. Uh, and then some Sari questions to close us out. Uh, was there a Sari 2019 in 2020? Uh, you know, meaning did somebody have the kind of year she had in 2019? And who can have a Sari 2019 if allowed by COVID in 2021?
2: You know, it's funny because so much of of what sort of defined Sari's 2019 for me was that you didn't see her all that often. It wasn't like she was wrestling every week or you were seeing, you know, 10 matches a month from her. It was like she would have a match and it would be amazing. And you'd be like, this is a great match. And then a month later, she would have another match that was great. So it wasn't really a volume thing for Siri. It was just that every time she appeared, she seemed to be having a quality match. So it makes it sort of hard to compare because like Zamori had a great year, as I said, but she was having a match like every few days. Every few days on Chaco Pro, you know, they do a show and she was having a match. So it's sort of hard to compare um for me saying, okay, this person had you know, 10 matches that were all great. And this person had 50 matches that were all, you know, most of which were very good. Um, Who can have a Sari 2019 if allowed by COVID in 2021? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I I mean, someone like Arisa Nakajima is always, you know, in that conversation as someone who doesn't wrestle all that often, but when given the opportunity can, can really pump out the sort of quality that Sari produced. But a lot of times these things come out of, you know, it's hard to predict because, you know, the year before it had been Masaki Ohada who had a great year. And then Sari really came out of nowhere. She was someone who had been around for many years, having good matches and then came out of nowhere. So sometimes these things are tricky to predict.
1: She'd been around for many years. He says about a 22 year old or whatever. But she
2: had been around for many years.
1: I know, but it's still funny. Uh, uh to me, it's like when you say sorry 2019, it's like there was legitimate. I mean, maybe it was mostly Joshi people, but there was legitimate talk about her being the, uh, the best wrestler, uh, in the world of, of any wrestler. So I'm, I'm not sure that that happened in 2020. Um, 2021, I don't know if it's just that. She reminds me of her in so many ways, but I think of a young wrestler who could just put it all together and uh, have everybody talking about her all the time. And I'm going to shout her out one more time on this show. And that's Miyuki Takase. That's my choice.
2: Yeah. I also think there is the aspect of, you know, I talked about Yuna Mizumori, but the tough thing with her is that a lot of times you say, Hey, you should watch Chaco pro and people turn it on and they go, well, what is this? This is a small, this isn't a wrestling ring. I, I'm I'm never going to watch this because it's not real wrestling. So I think, you know, I think Miyuki is a good choice because she is sort of a traditional, you know, Seri is very talented but is a traditional wrestler. No, she's wrestling in a ring. She's wrestling for the big company. So Miyuki is a good pick. You know, it just – you know, you never know. You don't know with what the bookings going to be for anyone. You know, Re had the advantage of she sort of freelance that year where she was appearing in Sendai Girls and she was appearing in Wave um, and things like that. So you really also need someone. And I think Miyuki could be that person who can appear in a, in a bunch of different promotions if they're not getting consistent opportunities, which Miyuki might get being the champion in, in Actress Girls in their own promotion.
1: All right, let's close this close this show out rather by talking about uh, Stardom a little bit. Some news on the uh, Nippon Budokan show they're going to have. Yuski Aikawa will make a one night return to Stardom, according to them, for the All Star Rumble, which, according to their English Twitter account, will f- feature quote Stardom OG wrestlers, <laughs> Joshi legends, and more. Will be in the Rumble. You won't know who comes through the curtain next.
2: Yeah, very exciting. I mean, you had to think there's been so much, um, you know, videos and, you know, on her Instagram of Yusuke training. You know, she had a quote unquote match uh, with Yoshiko on the Seedling YouTube um, channel. So you had to think something was happening. You also have to think the fact that she's been spending so much time with Seedling yet is doing this stardom show. And she mentioned Yoshiko in an interview about her returning. Uh, so it seems likely, in some effect, that Yoshiko, maybe Nanai Takahashi, will um, be making their return to stardom. They would certainly fit stardom OG wrestlers. And Takahashi might even, uh, depending on your definition, might fit uh, Joshi Legends as well. So uh, probably seeing that. I would imagine we'll probably see some marvelous involvement. Um, But it will be interesting to see in this buildup because they're going to probably have to have a number of these big announcements spread out over the next few months to get people into that venue. Yes, but this is certainly one of the people we
1: talked about that needed to be on this card uh, to try to do a big number. So this makes sense and makes us look smart. So, all things I like. All right, let's go down the card for uh, the. December 20th the show. I'll start at the bottom. Uh, Future of Stardom title, Micah, Sayahida, uh, and Saya Kamitani in a three-way match. Uh, interesting that they're kind of starting these bigger shows. They're using the Future of Stardom match as like a, an opener for these shows, which I think is a good idea. I like it.
2: Yeah, I'm interested to see this seems like uh, the three of them seem like the Future of Stardom division. And with the announcement that the the Twins and Hanan are... Um, not with the company, at least for the time being, if not more. Um, it's interesting to me what will happen with this title if it just becomes a handoff between these three wrestlers who are one of the, you know, Ruaka sort of could, I guess, fit that mold. But there aren't that many contenders for this title. So interesting to see if this is a match we see a lot in the future going forward. Then we have
1: Riho and Ruaka versus Natsuko Tora and Konami um (laughs) what is there to say I mean I had someone try to tell me the other day that uh Riho is pushed to the like exact right amount at stardom that uh they don't really need another star and uh
2: (laughs) what do you say to that what do you say Well, I'll say I think this match is probably to get Oedo Tai a victory. I guess that's really the only. uh, uh, The the thirteen-year-old monster takes the pinfall. I guess. Um, Yeah, there's nothing really to say. I mean, Rio at this point just feels like, you know, a body. When they're like, "Oh, we need someone for a match." Oh, okay, it'll be Rio. Yeah, it's insane. She Uh, won't win, but she won't get pinned, so it's all you know, right? out in the wash. The Oedo Tai team of B. Priestley and Saki Kashima versus the uh, Dona Del Mundo team of Himeka and Nutsboy. Do you think that Donna Del Mundo has to win this match? Can Himika lose? A, I mean, this is a big show. They've had a few shows, obviously, in the past few weeks, but I can't imagine on another big show put on pay-per-view that you could have Himika lose again. And they- after like building
1: her up for that uh title mess, they've just beaten the absolute shit out of her. i mean it's just it's miserable to watch uh so no i I mean, like Saki has to take the pinfall here right
2: yeah i would I would think so
1: as I was going back over my notes, I also remembered that Saki Kashima got the first pinfall on
2: Julia in stardom <laughs> that'll be in like five years if there's a tri like stardom trivia. That will be the that'll be the hardest question <laughs> yes. to answer. Uh, this
1: is probably the match I'm most excited about for the show: Azumi versus Meiho Shizuki for the high speed title.
2: Aaron, I'm going to say something very controversial that yes. may upset you. Uh-huh. Um, I think that this is going to be the best match on the card.
1: Um i don't I can't decide yet if that upsets
2: me, but maybe <laughs> I'll think about whether it upsets me. oh, I thought it definitely would upset you, yeah, I just think uh, azumi obviously very good, and as we talked about, may Shizuki was at the top of my or near the top of my wrestler of the year list, and I think put in a big spot like this, you know obviously the biggest show that may has worked on um as it is now or as it's listed on the website, this will be sort of the beginning of the sort of upturn of the card. So I would imagine they would hopefully be given a good amount of time. And I think that they will um, definitely deliver. And I am really, really looking forward to this match. I agree. It should be very good. So uh,
1: we will see. Next up is a uh, six-woman tag match. Uh, Maiu Watani, Starlight Kid, Gokigen Death versus Tom Nakano, Mina Shirakawa, and Sayaka Unagi. Uh, You've noted here. Is Stars breaking up?
2: Yes the the official name of the match on the Stardom website is Break of Stars. Break of Stars? Question mark? Yeah, with the question mark included. Uh, so, Aaron, do you think that Stars are going to break up? I just can't imagine what on earth would be the point of that. Like, why split? Why split these up? It's interesting because it's there's some unit. There's some rumbling that Tom is going to that they will break up and Tom will start getting a push, but does she get a push leading this unit? Yeah, I mean, I, that'd be great. I think we talked about on this show
1: that Tom deserves a push and, like, makes sense as someone to get pushed, so that'd be cool, uh, but I don't know. It just I guess that's what I'm missing. If the idea is they're going to do it to give Tom a push and make her, like, a featured person, then it makes a lot of sense to me, uh, but otherwise... I just don't understand uh, creating a, a new unit that uh, of which Tom is the leader. That seems weird.
2: Of which Tom is the leader, and there's really no, you know, she would be 1A. Who is the 1B in that three-person unit? I mean, they would have to get someone else, I would think.
1: Yeah, I would also think so, but I don't know. Or, I mean, uh, there could be some mixing up coming soon. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's the thing that'll happen. If they can get somebody else from another unit, I mean, you know.
2: Yeah, I I just think the, I don't know. Do you think the <laughs> fact that they're teasing it means they will break up or that they won't break up? Like they're teasing it to be like, here's why you should care about this match and then yeah. they break up.
1: That's a possibility that that's all, that's the only reason that uh, that they're really doing it. So I don't know. Hard to say for me, really. Um Next up, well, there's only two matches left. Uh, The two big matches, uh, Julia versus Shuri for the Wonder of Stardom slash SWA title. I just have a bad
2: feeling this is going to a draw. That's interesting. Now, I will say to cover our bases that I believe Julia is half Italian. She Um, is. She could hold both titles. She could hold both titles. You correctly nailed uh, the Shuri victory. I'm so smart. You're so you're so smart Aaron. <laughs> uh, so I think I think the likelihood of outcomes is draw, Julia win and then probably fairly far down Siri winning. Does that I mean I don't see any world in which they have Siri beat Julia for for the Wander of Stardom title. No, I don't and I don't see the point of Julia
1: holding the SWA title. Uh, especially when I think you're trying to help, you know, kind of turn Shuri into, you know, a fourth, maybe level star in your company. Uh, and as you've noted, they have just fallen in
2: love with doing draws. So I just
1: I think a draw is coming here.
2: Yeah, they have fallen in love with draws. So I actually think draws probably probably. And also, as you noted, when you said, oh, there's only two matches left. It's a sm- short card. It's right. like there's a ton of matches on this card, so they may be building in 30, you know, minutes. 30 minutes for this match to go to a draw. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it's not your main event. So, And Julia, I think unquestionably, the bigger star than Utami. So that might tell us something. Utami versus Momoa Nabe for the World of Stardom title is the uh, top match on the show. Uh, I guess the reason I don't really like, flinch at you saying Azumi and Meiho Suzuki is going to be better is these matches for me are really hurt by just knowing that Momo isn't going to win. Uh, just there's no stakes. You know, that match in New York that we watched, I totally could have bought Utami beating Momo uh, for for the title there. And they did a great tease in the match of of Utami winning. Uh, so apparently I can remember old matches, as I can remember that match pretty much spot for spot. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. Now, Momo had that great match with Mayu that I think the the ending was pretty well understood what was going to happen. So they certainly could do a great match here. They've done great matches in the past, but they're going to have to work really hard to uh, do something in here that makes me think, that, that puts the puts the ending in doubt.
2: Yeah, I don't think the ending, I think... I wouldn't understand Momo winning unless they've for some reason already bailed on Utami as a top star, which why would they? They have yeah, almost so. no you know, they've run a few little shows, but I would hope they're not basing their decisions based on four tiny, you know, house shows um after her title win. So I can't see a world in which Momo wins. Um. even though I would like that because I like Momo and I think she's very talented, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk that Momo is on her way up, but this is too, this is too fast. You know, if this match was happening in four months, maybe I could see it, but not now.
1: Honestly, my take is if Momo is ever a champion again, uh, it's going to be, two years from now when she faces Mayu and finally beats her. I just, I don't see anything coming any, any more quickly than that. Would love to be wrong. Just don't see it happening. And frankly, based on like everything they've been doing, it makes sense. Utami should win this match. I would think it was dumb if Momo won this match based on what they've done leading up to it. So I'm not going to be upset if she loses. Uh, I think that would make sense. It's just, it does hurt the quality of the match. And I mean, we're not gonna see it live, so I'll probably be spoiled for it anyway.
2: Yes, uh, but- although I will say, um they did announce it is on pay-per-view in Japan, but they will be showing, I believe, the first match, the feature of Stardom match, if the card is in order, on YouTube for free.
1: Which, um, by the
2: way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we we talked I can't remember if we talked about this on the show or if it was just on Twitter, but about why they don't stream their shows live? Which Tokyo Joshi Pro has been pointing out recently that, uh, you know, if you want live streaming, you got to be a you got to be a Wrestle Universe subscriber, which is true. But it kind of points to a couple of things. One is that they absolutely have the ability to stream these shows, these big shows live. Uh, they're going to stream the first match of this show live, so they can do it. Uh, the second thing is, and maybe this is true. Somebody said maybe the website they use doesn't have the capability to do it. Uh, and and maybe that's true because otherwise, why not put this up on Stardom World and charge for it, you know, for people to watch it live. So I, I think it leads me to believe that there's uh, maybe a technological issue, which is um, inexcusable, embarrassing in 2020, if you can't figure out the technology to stream this live, if you have the capability to do so.
2: Well, also, I think there is some argument that people do like the subtitled promos which those subtitled promos are great but i don't think it's a world in which we should have to say well you get one or the other no i think you could say okay you're going to live we'll live stream the show just to let you know we're not going to have it's not going to be subtitled if you want subtitled the show will go up as they always do you know a few days later or they'll go up a match at a time or whatever Whatever it is, they will go up, but just later. So you can make the choice. If you want to watch it live, you can watch it live. If you if the promos are very important to you, then you can just continue as you are. Does, I mean, does it feels everybody forget that this is exactly what New Japan used to do? I
1: mean, you used to have to go to their YouTube and watch the translated promos later. So what's the problem? Why can't we do that?
2: Yeah, I just, you know, and I don't, yeah.
1: Or... They could just hire someone like, uh, like Hakusan, who could put the translations on Twitter.
2: I mean that works really well for Tokyo Joshi Pro shows to me. Well, and I'll say that in terms of you know oh maybe they don't have the you know technology, but for example Zyco, which is where both Assemble shows have been, and there was this, the Sendai Korakin was on that. It worked very well. It's easy to use. You know, you just go, you can put in, I believe they take PayPal, you can put in your PayPal information. And the stream is very it's high quality. It works very well. It's easy to use. You know, Marvelous has been using the streaming service. So it isn't like there's no options where it's we have to put it on Stardom World website or else, you know, they're doing this pay-per-view in Japan. So clearly they don't have too much of a problem with not having it directly on Stardom World, but it just it's just very weird. Or if you do a pay-per-view, put it on a system where everyone can see it and not just, okay, this is a pay-per-view only for Japanese fans. You know, that seems to be cutting, especially when we hear all the time, oh, the big focus is is Western fans on Stardom World. The big focus, the big focus. And then they do these pay-per-views and they're like, sorry, Japan only.
1: Well, I guess we should have taken it seriously when they said after Bushiroad bought them that they were going to basically – turn that around and focus more on their Western or on their uh, Japanese audience. So, I mean, they got rid of the international store. They, uh, you know, stopped doing any sort of, um, of live streaming. And uh, I guess really they just mostly focus on Japan, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that, uh, but it's just frustrating as a Western fan. All right. Well, on that dour note, I think that's the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at J Bomb Audio. I'm at Aaron like the car. Taylor's at Tay uh, subscribe to the show, please give us a five star rating and a review on the Apple podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, and if you would like to support the show, you can do so by going to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and tossing us a donation.
2: Um, anything else you want to add, Taylor? I do have something else to oh, add. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to say this isn't our last um, show of the year. We'll have a show in two weeks. Um, right before the new year, but because it's the year in review and we're sort of wrapping up this year, I did want to thank everyone um, who has listened to the show. You know, we've gotten um, a lot of great feedback. We've had a lot of great discussions with people on Twitter and in the voices of wrestling discord. So if you've listened to the show, if you've enjoyed the show, um, if you've dropped us a note or anything like that, we're very appreciative. Um, I think Aaron will agree that we sort of started this show. You know, just seeing what would happen. And then we were sort of thrown a curveball with um, all the COVID stuff. Um, But I've had a a great time and uh, look forward to doing the show more in 2021.
1: Yes, I uh, have to echo your thoughts. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, the thing that I enjoy the most, well, the thing I enjoy the most is chatting with Taylor every two weeks. That's fun. The thing I enjoy the second most is hearing from people uh, what they like or don't like or just thoughts on the show. Like, I I really like that. I like interacting with people. So, uh, you know, please uh, drop me a note at me. Uh, But, you know, only if you agree with me, not if you disagree with me, obviously. Um, Yeah, but we do have one more show. I think that will mainly be reviewing the uh, the 1220 Stardom Show, right? That's going to be the main thing.
2: Yeah, that will be the main thing. I don't think there's too much. Um, there will be too much more to cover. I think that um, I think that Tokyo Joshi has one more show or something like that, but there aren't that many other shows happening um, in the next two weeks. So that stardom show will be the main focus of the next episode.
1: Yeah. So look out for that. It'll be on the same schedule that we're always on. So uh, until then, uh...
0: That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.